Hello, and welcome to our podcast, How Therapy Works, a non-denominational guide to psychotherapy for new and experienced therapists. We're here to help you understand what's going on in your sessions and what to do next. This is a standalone podcast, as well as a chapter-by-chapter companion guide to Dr. Smith's book, Psychotherapy, A Practical Guide. I'm Jeffrey Smith, Associate Professor of Psychiatry at New York Medical College. And I'm Amelie Southwood, a mental health counselor in private practice certified in EMDR. Today, we're going to introduce you to a few of the most helpful concepts to clarify the work we do. This podcast is a companion to Chapter 10 in the book. Today, we're continuing with the second half of Chapter 10 on how to conduct basic talk therapy sessions. We begin with the different phases therapy goes through. You describe the phases of therapy in any given session as a three-step dance that highlights the variations from moment to moment. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Okay, so, so we, we, we sort of have this three-step dance, but in case you might think that, that every session is just that over and over again through those three steps, n- no sessions feel different um, and times in sessions feel different so it's as if there are cycles and those some of those cycles are short like minutes and some of them are long involving months uh, at a time uh, one example was was uh, Jack in the in the early in the first uh, podcast the young man who had a panic attack and we realized that underneath that panic attack was a value system where he was committed to never needing anybody else's help. Well, that's a long-term problem. That's not one that's going to evaporate overnight or even in a, in a short time. So the point here is that there are various cycles, and a good way to think of those is like the seasons in the year. There's the one that we like the best, I think, which is springtime, when what you're getting, the material you're receiving is new and fresh, and you're making progress from moment to moment. You're getting in touch with deep feelings that haven't been really worked with before and they're coming up and you're resolving them. And um, and so that's springtime. And then then typically springtime gives way to fall when the, when the resistance starts to crop up and the going gets tougher and you realize that some, something is holding you back Maybe at first you don't know quite what it is, and then it begins to come clear, and and then you can work with it. So that's fall, and sometimes when it's a really tough one, then then it turns into winter. And like like I'm thinking of, of somebody who's had a very, very powerful, angry, negative transference, and getting through that anger has been a long, slow process. So So that's winter, and after winter... Guess what? We get back to spring again when you finally resolve that resistance. So I think that's a good way to think of the of the different phases and different cycles that go on in therapy. Long long term resistance is particularly challenging, I find, um, because the therapy feels stuck, and how how to move it forward. Yes, it's winter, but when we're stuck, what do we what do we do? Well, you're talking about an impasse. And where there's a resistance and you're not getting through it. And I guess what I'll tell you is, is I'll give you the easy answer. It's the 80-20 answer. That 80% of the time, here's the answer. It's going to be a transference problem 80% of the time when you're really stuck. 
And if you can't figure out what it is, tell yourself it's staring me in the face. It's right there, it's obvious, and you're not seeing it. Can you give me an example? A patient recently who has bulimia nervosa. She binge eats at night and then throws up. And it's been a really, really tough problem for a long time, and, and it's gotten worse lately. There are some conditions that explain why it might be worse, but we weren't making headway. And so I thought about it after the session, and all of a sudden it was obvious that, that this patient has been looking for somebody outside herself to fix her problems, to make everything okay. And nobody was doing that. And so there was kind of a, of a combination of rage and, well, if nobody's going to help me, then I'm just going to take care of myself by eating up a storm. And that's what was happening. And so, so that was an example. And the transference there, more accurate to think of it as an inner child who was, in a sense, having a temper tantrum because she wasn't getting what she expected and wanted, that somebody else had to fulfill the deficit in her childhood nurturing, which was very definitely true. But that little kid just, when, when, the, when the love wasn't there that she needed as a child, then she just went on strike for the next 40 years. And, um, and, and finally, I'm it. I'm the one who's supposed to supply that nurturing, and I wasn't doing it. And I wasn't the only one in her life that she was looking to, but that, that's, that's an example of how transference pops out as really being the problem. So could I ask you, upon thinking of, of this particular patient, you formulated this interpretation of her behavior. How did you bring it to her? I, I knew it would be dangerous to just say it if it came from me, and this is not an easy patient. So I asked her, what, what did she think was going on? Tell me about it. And she was the one who said that she needed something. She, need, she needed something, that she was disappointed that the ex-boyfriend wasn't showing up again, that when she got near somebody she thought might be able to give her what she needed, uh, then she'd feel better and then she'd feel disappointed when that didn't work out. And so I had enough material that I could begin to weave that together with what I knew. We compared notes and, and we wound up being very much on the same wavelength and understanding what happened. Now, does that just usually happen out of the blue? No, it took a lot of work. And this isn't the first time we've talked about this material. So it took a lot of work to get to the point where it took only a few minutes for it to become clear to both of us exactly what was going on. Right, so then you had the springtime, the, the, the discovery, and by, by talking about what you had discovered, there was the beginning of emotional healing. How do you affect behavioral change then? Well, the behavioral change is that, that she needs to love herself, and this is a very interesting uh, situation where I, I don't think I've ever had a patient tell me before, I wanted a pass from having to love myself, she said. I didn't want to have to do that. I wanted somebody else to do it. So, so that's the behavior change. The behavior change is for her to love herself. And in this particular case, in this particular situation, the answer that seemed kind of clear to me that time was to say to her, you need to have a dialogue with your young self. And in that dialogue, you need to tell your young self 
I'm better than food. Because you, the adult, really are better than food. You're more capable of providing something closer to that original primal love than anybody outside. And so that was kind of the mantra that I suggested to her, but it really, the answer, the behavior change that's really required is to take care of herself and to not do this binge eating behavior at night. Which sounds easier said than done. How long, would you say, does change take? Well, we've been working on this one for a long time. It's been getting gradually a teeny bit better, and then there's then something happens, and it, it all comes back again. This time, as we thought about it, she had a new insight, which was that her eating is really about control. It's not about food. It's really about having control over her emotions, because that's the only thing that will suppress her feelings of loneliness at night. And so that gave a context to it, and it helped her to realize that it's it's really letting go that she needs to, letting go of control and becoming comfortable with that. So I was able to say, well, that's something that the adult part of you can conceptualize, can can believe in, that you can, as an adult, be ready for whatever life is going to bring you, as opposed to trying to control everything. And that concept was very helpful to her. She's had some some bit of interest in, in Buddhism and things like that that really emphasizes letting go of attachments and control. And for her, who's who's very, very much oriented towards being in control of everything, she kind of knows that that's the way to go, but it's hard to do. Right. In the trauma work that I do, um, I understand uh, eating disorders to be part of a flight response and not wanting or being able to sit with very uncomfortable feelings. Precisely. And, and at one point in this particular case, the feeling was, I'm going to die if I don't eat. And, and we've made a lot of progress since then. It's not quite, I'm going to die. It's, this is a terribly uncomfortable loneliness and I don't want, and I don't feel like I should have to face it. At which point the patients could then become more open to behavioral change. Right. Right. It's been a little bit, a little bit of insight makes it a little easier to do the behavioral change. A little bit of behavioral change opens some more insight and, and so on. And so we go back and forth between behavior change and understanding. This segues perfectly into uh, the next part of the chapter, discovery, emotional healing, and behavioral change, the three tasks. Right. So, so we, I think this is a sort of a recap of this chapter that there are three things that are going on, three things that we as therapists are doing to allow healing of entrenched dysfunctional patterns. And the first one is discovery. It's figuring out what the next uh, EDP is that we're going to be able to tackle, what's the most accessible one there is, and how does that work? How does whatever it is, like, for example, the eating disorder, how does how does that block a feeling and what's the feeling that it's blocking so discovery is the is the first of the tasks and that's one that i think therapists tend to get caught up in that that excites us and and we like that but we need to recognize that that's not really the main act that's what leads to it and and so so the second task of the three i like to think of as emotional healing and that's what happens 
when the person is able to face their emotion, when they're able to be in contact with material that's relevant to this particular EDP on an emotional level, and that's when the safety of the context of connection comes into play and allows the healing of those feelings. And then the third one, you'll remember that every EDP has a feeling that's being avoided and a method for avoiding it, mm-hmm. those two parts. And we can, we can approach either one. So we can either approach the feeling directly if that's what's been exposed or if, it's, if the feeling isn't accessible, then we're going to need to approach what are the changes, what are the behavior changes that are going to be needed to be able to expose that feeling. And when I say behavior there, I'm talking about all kinds of things, including thinking. Like there might be an idea like uh, in Goodwill Hunting the movie, uh, Will has this idea that it's his fault that he's in the mess that he's, that he's in and that everything happened the way it did in his traumatic childhood. Once that idea is clearly exposed and clearly not valid, then the feelings just well up within him. So that's an example of what I would put in the category of behavior change. It's inviting the client to let go of some kind of an avoidance mechanism that is standing between where we are right now and the feelings that need to be exposed. Right, so that becoming aware of the cognitive distortion. Right, so so there's two great examples. The eating disorder where it's the eating disorder behavior that needs to change for the patient to feel that loneliness and, and learn that the loneliness is not the end of the world and that it's just a feeling. And the Goodwill Hunting movie version where it's a change in a cognitive idea that allows progress to be made. I do want to say one thing I think that's, that's kind of important that I can tell you because I've had many, many years of experience. And one of the things that experience tells me is that there are change processes that take place over many years, even decades. And I, I see people get better over a very, very long time. Uh, in, in many of the modern kinds of behavior, we assume that treatment is going to take 12 sessions. Well, 12 sessions is because that's the classic experimental paradigm uh, that's, that's used to validate treatment protocols. But a lot of changes take longer than that. They really do, and they can take much longer. So, so maybe we have the model of treatment and then finishing treatment in 12 sessions, and then the person is going to find that they still have problems and they come back for a refresher or for another, another problem, and the course is in and out of therapy, or the more old-fashioned one where people spend a long time in an open-ended kind of therapy. But different ones suit different situations and probably different therapists. But the point is that there are changes that take place over a much longer time than that. And I've seen that in terms of changes in values. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those are very slow and they're hard and they require a lot of of, of work over time. Yes, I've and one seen would it, encounter a lot of resistance with mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. I've seen it happen with anxiety. Uh, a kind of a, a not so atypical course of anxiety is is person first experiences really crippling anxiety. They come in, they get medication. That works for a few weeks and then stops working. 
and then they try another medication, a couple more, and then they give up on medication and they try behavioral treatment, and that works for a while, and and that eventually stops working. And finally, they say, to heck with therapy, it it doesn't really work. I'm going to learn to cope with anxiety, and that's what really works. But it may take several years, and pretty soon the anxiety just isn't as big a deal as it used to be. And I've seen that happen quite a few times. Of course, the other the other kinds, there are people who medication does work and it works long term, and there are people where behavior therapy works and it works long term. Um, but we can we can see a lot of variation. But the point here is really just because your therapy sessions typically last only a, a fairly brief amount of time, that doesn't mean there aren't change processes on a different time per, time frame, a different cycle. Right. Th- this is all made possible when we have built a strong therapeutic relationship, which is what we're going to go into in Chapter 11. Right. Well, this concludes today's podcast. Uh, Thank you for listening to the end, and we hope it's been helpful to you. We'd love you to visit Dr. Smith's website, www.howtherapyworks.com, where you can purchase the book, Psychotherapy, A Practical Guide, and find other articles for clients and therapists. Dr. Smith, would you like to add anything? Well, I'd just like to say that for people who've tuned into these podcasts just recently, this really is an organized series. And so I'd encourage you, if you haven't already, to go back to the beginning and pick up that part. Because we start in the first eight or so uh, podcasts, we talk about how to understand therapy in general. And now in this section, we're talking about what therapists do to make this process go. And in the last series of podcasts, which we haven't done yet, we'll be talking about about all the different kinds of problems that therapy can do something about. And we're going to be complete about that. We're going to create a matrix so that whatever you're looking at, whatever you're dealing with, it's going to be one of those problems and you'll have some ideas of how to deal with it. Right. So looking looking at the presenting problem and how to break it down and then how, once it's broken down, to approach it and start treating it? Right. Great. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So that's it for today. Thank you, everybody. Okay. Bye. Bye.